Hey, imposters, Jessamie here. Just a couple of things to tell you up front before we bring you this week's episode with the incredible Madeline Dorr. Um, firstly, we did this one via Zoom because Madeline is currently living it up and having a wonderful time over in Europe. So the audio on Madeline and Madeline's end is fine, um, but it is recorded via Zoom, so it's not um, the top-notch quality you have now come to expect from the Imposter Syndrome Club. Um, but, it, but it's all com- completely uh, audible and still an absolutely incredible episode. Uh, A couple of other exciting things we have on this week. So this Friday, the 25th of November, we are actually doing a live recording of the Imposter Syndrome Club, a special crossover event with Creative Mornings Melbourne. So um, many of you will know I also am the host of the Melbourne chapter of Creative Mornings. And this is our last event for the year. So we're doing something a little bit special. The theme for this month is truth. Um, So we are hosting a panel of past Creative Morning speakers to answer your big questions, the hard truths on their lives, businesses, their day-to-days, all the sort of juicy truths that we like to talk about here on the Imposter Syndrome Club. So Alice and I will be there co-hosting a panel of some pretty amazing people. We've got Mikey Ting and Carissa Caramarco from Studio Ting, uh, both of whom we've had a chat to on Imposter Pod before. We've also got Dinsey uh, Amobi Sanderson from the clothing brand Ulo, Erin Lewis Fitzgerald of Modern, Modern Mending fame, um, and the incredible Asil Tyre, uh, who's a multiple uh, multidisciplinary artist uh, and just an incredible creative force in the Melbourne scene. Um, so come on down. It's going to be at the Commons Collingwood, 8am till 9.30am this Friday morning. It is free. There are coffee and pastries provided by our friends at All Press Espresso. Um, So yeah, if you want to book, um, if you go to our Instagram account at ImposterPod, there's a link in our bio, or you can just Google Creative Mornings Melbourne and you'll be able to register that way. And if you come down, please come say hi. We would love to see you and have a chat to you. Um, And you might get to ask some questions and hear your own beautiful voice reflected back to you on the podcast when it comes out in a couple of weeks' time. The other exciting thing, also this Friday, it's going to be a busy day for little Jessamy G on Friday. Um, If you would like to see my alter ego, Glitter Tits, doing her thing... She's actually going to be performing at a charity show this Friday night called Rasputin's Wet Posse. It's a fundraiser for Movember, uh, 7pm at the Motley Bauhaus in Carlton. Uh, the tickets for that are 35 bucks or 25 bucks concession. As I said, it's all a fundraiser for Movember. Um, best way to find tickets for that is to go to the Glitter Tits Instagram, which is at its underscore Glitter Tits, and there's a link to book in the bio there if you want to come and get glittery and sparkly and see some people having a really bloody good time on a Friday night and raising some money for a good cause while we do it. All right, that's it. Hopefully might see some of your faces either Friday morning or Friday night. And in the meantime, enjoy this wonderful episode with Madeline Dorr. Welcome to the Imposter Syndrome Club. My name is Jessamie G. I am joined by my beautiful co-host, Alice Eady. Welcome, Alice. Hey, Jess. Lovely to see you. I'm so excited. Well, today we have a very special uh, international via Zoom podcast guest, 
the beautiful uh, writer, interviewer, author, Madeline Dorr. Welcome, Madeline. Hey, Madeline. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to join you from the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> Yay. What's the weather like? Oh, it's it's oh, it's a beautiful autumnal day. Um, <laughs> so it's golden morning light and the trees are starting to turn. I can see like little pops of red um, through the one in my window. So it's just gorgeous. I love, I love cold weather. And then with, with sunny cold weather, there's just yeah. the combo is delightful. Oh, you made that sound so poetic as well. Mm. Like, um, there <laughs> we're sitting in like a, we're sitting in Clifton Hill in Melbourne where it's been rainy and miserable for as far as anyone can remember, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's that funny time in Melbourne where it's the start of spring and you get that like first 20 degree day and everyone's like, that's it. And they're fucking eating ice creams and wearing roller skates. They're like, summer's here. <laughs> and then two days later. I love that. <laughs> but yeah, it's a little, little tease. But I, I do yeah. love that, like remembering that the world turns and soon you're going to have this, you know, you're going to have yeah. the springtime. So. Well, it's coming your way. Well, thank you for joining us today on Weather Chats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what a deep question to open on. How's the weather? I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> Don't doubt yourself. <laughs> um, so, Madeline, the way that this podcast starts is that we ask our guests to read out loud their own bio. So, would you indulge us, please? Uh, so, the bio. Okay, here we go. This is from the back of my book. Um, Madeline Dorr is a writer and interviewer exploring how we can broaden the definition of a day well spent. As a labour of love, Madeline spent years asking creative thinkers how they navigate their days on her popular blog, Extraordinary Routines, and podcast Routines and Ruts. She now dabbles in various freelance projects and tries to hold things lightly. <laughs> That's gorgeous. Did oh, you write that? I did write that. Yeah. Um, and how, for the book in particular. And how did you, how did you find, was it like a, by the time you'd written an entire book, was it effortless to do the bio or is the bio, is it, was it like a disproportionately difficult couple of hundred words to write? Oh, I think the bio, the bio came after writing the blurb for the book, which was disproportionately harder than the book itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, to really condense like what it is that the book does. Um, and so once I realized, once I kind of had that, I had bits and pieces of this bio or already kind of laying about. And I knew, I knew that kind of I positioned myself as exploring, you know, what it means to have a day well spent and broadening that because we have such a narrow view of that in society of, you know, how much we get done. And so that was kind of a way to sum up extraordinary routines. And so that was already there. It was kind of just pulling together little threads, I think. And then really at this time, just sort of seeing that, like I used to have a bio that was like, and she's written for da-da-da and da-da-da and da-da-da and done this and da-da-da-da. And I just kind of really wanted to make a purposeful shift away from this idea of all of the itemized things I've done, all these kind of accolades, all these publications, all these things that were, I don't know, kind of, I don't know, in a, in a way I just sort of didn't want to count them anymore because I'd sort of changed the measure and I wanted the measure to be what was happening more internally. 
um, and that is for me to hold things lighter, is a bigger goal than, say, writing for a prestigious publication um, because I kept kind of stumbling over that. And so, yeah, it kind of came to a time where I was really trying to shed a lot in terms of ambition that wasn't mine and really look at what my own was. So it was kind of a timely exercise when I had to write this. Wow. I love that so much, Madeline. And um, there's so many questions that I want to ask out of that. It's um, it's interesting in the, you know, 20-something episodes of this podcast we've done so far um, and the differences in how people feel reading their bios out loud, the ones that feel really awkward and icky, which m- mine was among those, by the way, uh, are the ones wh- that are more a list of accolades and the ones that feel um, really natural for people are the ones that are more about their, that says something about their values, their story, and they read mm. more like a, a mini narrative and tells you something about that person. There seems like they, they didn't seem to be any... Um, nervousness or apprehension in your voice reading that out loud because that's just you talking about you and your interests and hopes and aspirations to yeah it feels a little, a little bit lighter which is the goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and it it is mm. something to to speak about you you've mentioned a couple of times this idea of wanting to live a, a lighter life or, or did you say to hold it more lightly um, how did, and there was also the word ambition thrown in there. And I just was wondering how you think about, or if you think about a difference between goals, ambition, purpose, and, and also how people hold ambition, like in your conversations that you've had with people who've achieved all kinds of different, interesting, beautiful things, like do, does ambition serve them? Like, is it a, I mean, I think what I'm asking so simplified is like, is it a good or bad thing? But I'm kind of aware that that's almost a silly question. But what are your thoughts on that idea of ambition? Yeah, well, I think it's a beautiful question, um, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful question. And I think in many ways it's be- because like everything, there's, there's going to be this, this nuance to it. Um, and I think of, in terms of ambition, when we set it to particular goals or the future, I think there's that tendency to really feel that gap between this vision that we have for ourselves in this future and that this ambition and these, these goals and these things that we need to achieve and then where we are currently and just seeing, and then, and then interpreting that gap as there being something wrong with us now yeah. instead of realising that we've actually got something we're moving towards. And so... <clears throat> I think with ambition, where I think I went wrong is that I was borrowing borrowing other people's goals, um, maybe through comparison or or external messages of what you you um, you think you should have um, and the trajectory and what that should look like, um, and that's what was kind of a recipe for a bit of misery. Um, and so things sort of really changed when I shifted that idea of ambition to this idea of drive. Um, and I talk about this in the book a little bit in terms of um, drive is something that it's part, it's the process, it's very active. Ambition can be sort of placed too far in the future that you kind of, you can get lost in a really big goal and you don't even know where to start. Can be like, That can be a very overwhelming feeling or it can be that sort of misery that I just spoke about when you see the gap. Whereas drive, you're kind of, you're in it and um, it can kind of, the direction can change and it can be malleable. 
but it's this idea of kind of you're moving. Um, and so I think that's what I really sort of shifted to. And so I think in terms of whether it's a good or bad thing, I think ambition is obviously really important when we do need to have that big future focus. And especially when it comes to kind of global issues, I think ambition is is incredibly important for societies. Um, but I think that individuals, maybe we can have the vision, um, we can have the goals, but hold it lightly because it will change as we go along and as we drive in different directions, I think. I love the uh, the nuance there between ambition and drive and language can be so important in that way, kind of to how we sort of frame things for ourselves. And I often think about that in terms of goal setting in that a lot of the time it's not actually about achieving the goal necessarily. It's more about creating momentum so that you are driving somewhere and you might, okay, at the last minute decide to turn left instead of turn right. But the important thing is you're in the car, you're moving. Um, (laughs) You might make decisions about where you're going along the way. Um, And you you brought up comparison there. And I love what you were saying, that you've realized you're borrowing someone else's goals. I know, I got goosebumps. Same. so beautifully. And is that sort of where, when you started Extraordinary Routines, is that sort of where that was born from? Or tell us a little bit about the story of how that began. Yeah, I think that was definitely one part of it was um, this kind of cluelessness about how anyone built a creative career, Um, especially when I was starting out. I I found it really difficult to um, find kind of where I wanted to be or to even find work in the industry. I don't know if you remember, Jessamy, but me applying for um, an assistant role with you. Yeah, we were just talking about this uh, before. and I- Like I went, like I was... <laughs> Just so eager. Like I love back. So what were you saying? <laughs> no, no, I was just gonna say that and the I was saying to Alice, I was like, this girl doesn't want to do my fucking emails. She's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm like I don't want someone that's going to be here for a month and then go off and do something incredible, which, by the way, is exactly what you did. So I was right. <laughs> oh, right. Well, yeah, but it's, it's so um, interesting to hear the other side of it because when you're trying, like, to kind of get a foot in um, and sort of you're, you're so eager and there's this excitement and, like, I even had these, like, bunch of balloons that I gave you. I remember. Um, with the resume. Um And so I think I was just like, how does anyone make a start? Um, And so you sort of at that moment, like you, from, from your perspective, you're like, oh, well, you know, go on, go, go, go to sort of other things. Like don't do admin with me. Um, But when you're sort of in from my shoes, I was like, oh, I just can't get a break. Like I can't get in. Um, And so I just, uh, from, from that feeling and feeling completely mystified by how anyone builds a creative career, um, and comparing myself and seeing that, you know, it seemed like other people were making strides and they, it just came so naturally and, um, you know, f- comparing myself in that way and just feeling behind. Um, Extraordinary Teens was very much born from all of those feelings, I think. So it was, it was twofold in that it kind of having these conversations was a way for me to figure out how to start my own career, but also um, kind of, yeah, like really kind of unpack what what a creative career looks like and what a productive day looks like um, and sort of what is behind the highlight reel of these people with incredibly successful careers. Um, So I think in that process, I was already sort of 
feeling like I didn't know what I was doing. And so I was, I was ripe for any, you know, open to suggestions, please tell me, tell me what I need to do with my life. Um, and then that's kind of, that can really be impactful. You know, when you see people like really kind of climb a success ladder, um, in certain different careers and, and things like that. So I think that was comparison was always the heart of the, the project. And I think turning it into something where, you know, getting up close to the comparison, I think in the end was really fruitful because it showed me that other people have no idea what they're doing as well. This is every word that is currently coming out of your mouth is so deeply relatable. <laughs> it's just yeah, like my heart is just absorbing all of this. So thank you. Um, to that point, and, um, and I think it is maybe something that those of us who haven't had kind of conventional careers do have to wonder about, because when you're a freelancer, you have to create your day. So I think like you come out of some kind of studying or, or not, you come out of school or, or whatever, but like you're building that from the ground up. And it's so helpful getting those insights into how other people have built their day, because it literally is sometimes as basic as like, what time are you eating breakfast? Are you going for, is the walk before breakfast or after breakfast? Like is the meditating for two minutes or for 20 minutes? Like, yeah, it's, it's so, so helpful. But I like, and, and I know personally it has been, it's something I find completely fascinating. But it's also something that I'm kind of always have to hold, um, kind of keep keep two hands or or like hold lightly with the other side of that, which is that you also can't find a recipe. And I that upsets me so much because I've looked for the recipe for so long and, and there just is no <laughs> recipe. So like how as someone who has interviewed so many different people with so many different ways of doing this thing called life, and, and kind of, you know, like you said earlier, the word nuance came up, like the, the roots are so nuanced. What, instead of the kind of answers, like, what do you think are the questions that people should be asking themselves when they, when they're building up or setting up a creative life? Hmm. That's so beautiful. Um, looking at the questions, not the answers. I love that. Um, if there's this one thread, I think it's, this is a really hard question for me to answer in terms of for myself, but maybe that's why it's important. And it kept coming up as this thread as I was going through my archive of interviews and kind of organizing them and <clears throat> organizing them in different chapters and trying to find sort of themes and, and really sort of put the book together. Um, so many of the, what's behind those themes is this question of, what is it that you want though? You know, <laughs> there's this kind of, here's what you should do. Yeah. Um, either because you've told yourself previously that you should do it or society is, or just, you know, friends and family, there's this should. So what do you want? Or um, even just kind of with our own, especially, you know, it's funny how when we're in the sort of early stages of freelancing and flailing and trying to sort of find our feet with it, um, it can be, it's sort of almost easy to turn back to kind of a nine to five structure. And that can work for a lot of yeah. people just to kind of mimic, mimic that. But I had to remember that I can shake that off and I, I could make up my own day. And then in, because I could make up my own day, it was a question of, well, then what do I want? Like, what do I want my day to look like? And I think that it can be kind of scary to ask what you want because in many ways being a wanter is sort of, 
it's tricky. It goes back to that idea of ambition as well. And, and sometimes this greediness of that we associate with wanting yeah. um, and grasping. But I think there's another kind of want, which is about getting to your true deep desires of what it is that you want with this life that you have. And so I think it's a big question that ties into kind of how we want to spend our time because our time is limited and our life is precious. And so therefore returning to that. And I think maybe it's hard to answer for people, including myself. I don't think I have the answer yet because it sort of changes all the time and you have to kind kind of constantly listen, constantly be listening, sorry, constantly be listening to yourself um, to hear it, to hear your deep wants, not your borrowed wants or your shoulds. Um, it's kind of quieter. Um, so yeah, I think maybe that's a question. And then allowing yourself to ask it and allowing yourself to see maybe what choices you have or what flexibility you have, because that is what differs, like back to that kind of recipe that we sometimes want. It just, what I realized in my search for the recipe is that it just never works because other people have different ingredients to you. And then you mm. feel like, well, why am I, why is my pancake a flop? When this person's pancake <laughs> like, well, they've got the flour, you've got something else, like um, make something with the, the sugar that you've got instead. Um, oh God, so we love it. We yeah. love a good metaphor here. So <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> I, I can, yeah, for a little while. So yeah, maybe that's a good question. I think that's a, that's a great question. And, and two things kind of, occur to me there one around like the the size the size of the want as in it's it's much easier to go I want to be a firefighter a teacher a ballet dancer whatever within these parameters that have already been set because then it's it's like a multiple choice question but when there are no parameters and it's not just about like being a thing or you know achieving a goal winning this prize whatever the thing might be that's a really overwhelming, scary thing. And I can see why even like the ask of the question is daunting because it's like, well, where is my, where are the edges of this? Um, which I think is, yeah, like even like it makes me feel like a little uneasy to be perfectly honest, you know, <laughs> thinking about which means that it's like the it's the right spot. It's the question I should be asking, I think. And the other thing that you were mentioning about sort of like it, it, that quiet listening to yourself, this is something that I <clears throat> I struggle with in, in sort of multiple facets of life as well. And I know that you are, um, you're a runner, Madeline, and um, I, it's something that shows up a lot with me in, in physical stuff, but also um, in, in day-to-day things as well. This idea of, you know, people talk about um, with physical stuff, listening to your body. So, you know, maybe you went for a long run yesterday and talk about the idea of like, listen to your body. Should I run today? Well, listen to your body to see if that's a good idea or not, or blah, blah. But how do you know what voice is true? Because it's not that my body isn't the only thing with a voice, right? So there's also my brain that's like, don't wanna. We would rather go and have a glass of wine. And that's, you know, those voices are at odds. And how do you know which is true and which is not? And I feel like the same thing applies to this sort of stuff as well. Like, how do I know what the true want is? Mm, or what are the, as you said, like the inherited goals, the difference between. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly right. Which I think will be tricky. Yes. Oh, this is the big question I think this is the this is the tension with all of it because mm. even with looking at um 
you know, there's, there's sometimes when we're not doing the thing because we're exhausted or the thing isn't ready yet, we need to keep thinking about it. Um, and that's important to do. And then there's times we're not doing the thing because we are actually sabotaging ourselves or we're being complacent. And to, to know the difference between the two, I think is, is the, the kind of, I guess the, the practice. Um, and maybe that's part of the answer is that we, how do we know? We know because we keep making mistakes and learning from them perhaps. And we, we keep choosing the wrong one and we're like, oh, this doesn't feel good. So this isn't actually, this is me self-sabotaging again. Oh, I can see that now looking back next time I've got that information um, and I've got a new input now. Um, so maybe we have to kind of keep stumbling in order to kind of, to know ourselves better, to then be able to listen to ourselves better. Um, mm. But I think in, in any case, what's really been sort of important to know is that, that that's a tricky thing to, to, to listen to and to really to, to grasp and to master, I suppose. But I think instead of trying to master it through mistakes and practice, we just slap on some guilt and shame <laughs> and anxiety about it um, and mask it so that that's kind of what makes us spiral further in terms of, oh, well, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing anything maybe because I'm being complacent. So then I'll beat myself up about that even more, or maybe it was that I was exhausted, but still I'll beat myself up. And so both ways, both, it doesn't matter, I suppose, if you are being complacent or if you are actually needing to rest, the, sh the shame or the guilt really kind of, it doesn't help either scenario. And so I think mm. sometimes it's about, okay, well, how do we tackle that? And how can we use, how can we kind of yeah. maneuver ourselves away from those things that can kind of get in the way of trying to, to know ourselves better? Um, yeah. So, so to that point and the, um, the subtitle of your book references this idea of productivity guilt. Could you unpack that idea of productivity guilt a bit, a bit more for us? Yeah. So, so productivity guilt really is, I suppose, that feeling of there's this thing that I need to be doing and I'm not doing it at this precise moment in time. So I'm going to feel really guilty about that and not do anything. <laughs> or it could be that feeling of there's so much to do that you don't know where to begin. And so you just don't start with anything. Um, it's sort of this, this sort of feeling also that what you do is never enough. Um, and just feeling like there's this kind of hamster wheel of all these, these, these things. And so it's this, this guilt of not keeping up or, um, not doing enough or not doing the right thing or getting it right. Um, is really kind of that sense of, of productivity guilt that can haunt us in our days and getting to the end of the day and feeling like it's a failure just because you didn't do this certain thing that, um, might not have been really what that day needed, or you overlook the things that you did do. Um, and, you know, perhaps don't even count many things that are important, like connection to other people or um, things that are sort of not as measurable as, um, you know, ticking off a to-do list. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people do that. I've, I've heard friends kind of expand that idea in other ways as well, where even, even thinking about rest in terms of helping your productivity. So it'll be like, oh yeah, but guys, it's really important to to chill and rest too. Otherwise you'll burn out and you won't get anything done. And I'm like, yeah, but you're still viewing rest through the metric of productivity. Like it's still, it's so ingrained in the way that we think. Well, it's interesting because I think that the, um, it's almost like training wheels for rest, this idea of framing it as well. Okay, well rest because it will 
you know, allow you to kind of keep going. And if that's what yeah. you need to enter to be able to rest because you're still caught in a very, you know, sped up intense productivity hamster wheel, then maybe that's how you kind of slowly introduce this idea of, of, of stopping um, if that's what you need. And so, but, but then I think that graduating would, would look like embracing that rest has a value in and of itself. And I think that what can be really helpful for that is really seeing that rest isn't just doing nothing either. Like rest can also, there's, there's this beautiful TED talk about the seven types of rest um, that I can dig up a link to. Um, And it talks about how rest can be social connection. Rest can be reading. Rest can be doing something really nourishing. Um, For me, rest is like, really I, I love just chopping vegetables and then putting them into a soup it just feels so restful to me and meditative <laughs> yeah um um so I think also broadening that definition because I think we can you know go too far the other way of being prescriptive of you must rest and you must have downtime and you must do nothing again it's like well maybe you're in a season where you do have a lot of energy and momentum and having this busyness is really fulfilling for you so I think it's only when maybe you're feeling Again, what do you want? Do you want to be doing a lot? Okay, great. Like no one's, um, I don't think we should have prescriptions of, on that side of things either. Yeah. It's really just seeing that we have seasons in our days, we have seasons in our lives um, and just kind of listening again to, to what season we might be in and maybe it's one where we do need to rest. So I think I've had this whole year of really kind of inhaling and allowing myself to kind of absorb the world and and really live the book of sort of of doing less and not sort of measuring myself by sort of what is done in the day, um, and you know the next season might look very different to that and just allowing for for whatever it might be. And sometimes it's obviously there's no choice in in whether there's um, you know whether it's a busy season or not. Um, and I think that's when when it can be a lot harder because maybe there's, there's, there's less opportunity to just decide, okay, well, I'm, I'm not doing anything, but maybe it's about finding those pockets of rest that might look very different from just sitting on the couch. It might just be, okay, well, I am in a really busy season and there's a lot piled on me, but what can I take off that pile or how can I connect to someone and feel, feel rested in a way that kind of really is suitable to you. And when you talk about seasons Madeline is that so obviously there'll be some external factors as in like if you're writing a book for a deadline (laughs) that's going to have a certain tone to it um but but outside of that is it something that you identify or something that you decide as in you're going you say I've decided that this six months is going to be more of a restful quiet period or is it just something like ah I've noticed myself doing this and that I must be in this flavor of a season oh I think that's so nice I think it's it can be both absolutely um on the brink of starting a residency I think that's that's definitely a decision um and one that I have to kind of keep reminding myself of because in these seasons where it is kind of a, a one particular focus or giving yourself permission to have time to to write or work on your creative things for me, a lot of anxiety bubbles up about, well, that's silly. You're not going to be able to buy a house like all of your friends are doing mm. or whatever it might be. Um, and so I have to kind of 
remind myself, well, no, this is the decision. This is the decision that I have made um, to invest in my own creative work in this way uh, with with time. Um, and so I think that's that kind of comes with its own challenges of almost kind of fielding those self criticisms or those those anxieties. And then sometimes I definitely sort of just know that there's a sort of a, a larger rhythm at play. And even learning about my own menstrual cycle was incredibly important. And I can't believe I didn't learn about it earlier. I kind of really delved into it in my early 30s, reading Lucy Peach's um, Period Queen book um, and saw that, oh, that's why in the middle, you know, the, the certain time of the month I, I sort yeah. of, I do want to be an introvert or I can't see people or, oh, wow, that's when I have a lot of energy for extracurricular activities or whatever. It's sort of... Um, seeing that and relating that back to what my days look like was, was really, really helpful. And now I kind of really try to keep a close eye on where I am in my own cycle um, and allow that to kind of have its own ebb and flow as well. So, so how do you think then about planning your days, given that you do have, you know, this approach to hold it lightly, to be nuanced, to be gentle, to kind of have that flexibility, like you've certainly seen enough routines to know you've, you've, you've done the research, right? Like you've seen all the different shapes that it can look. How do you think about your day balancing the flexibility, but then also kind of looking to, to hopefully get something done? Is that something you decide in the morning and then just, and whatever that decision is, you roll with it or how do you think about your time? Yeah, that, that's um, it's it's interesting because throughout this whole kind of search for the recipe for being productive, there's definitely things that I've kind of picked up that look like, you know, productivity hacks and things like bullet journaling is something that I love, really gravitate towards doing. Um, I still love a to-do list. I don't think I'll ever let go of a to-do list. Um, and even kind of using the Pomodoro technique, um, to have that focus. So there's definitely productivity things that, that help. Um, and I think that's what kind of comes back to this hold it lightly idea is that I sort of have recognised in myself that I will gravitate towards writing a to-do list kind of almost in a, in a neurotic way, frankly, um, where I just kind of need to kind of have everything sort of out of my head on the page um, and sort of it looks quite planned, but the idea of holding it lightly is that I see that list for what it is, which is actually helping me quell my anxiety um, or kind of feel more organised or sort of get a sense of, oh, actually I don't need to be doing this thing or that's more that's more of a priority. It's more of an organisation tool and knowing that that's not necessarily how the day will unfold. Um, yeah. So I think having that list and then just kind of allowing it to be malleable and something that really helped and maybe it kind of, it's just an example that can kind of emulate like what we can do, but having that to-do list, you know, it used to be really numbered and timed and I'll do this thing at this time and da, da, da. And now the to-do list, it's more like a long lead to-do list. So it's, it's about, well, picking something um, rather than being prescriptive about what needs to be done. And I think that really encapsulates this idea of, of, really the only secret after speaking to so many different people about how they structure their day, if there was a recipe, it's to actually just start very, very small and even smaller than you can imagine. Um, and I think that that can be, 
it can be a, a um, it can help you when you're feeling really stifled by the big overwhelming thing. Like even if it's clearing out your garage and you're looking at it and it's overwhelming, and where do you even begin? Well, you start with this tiny jar that's filled with bolts, and you you put that somewhere, and you kind of yeah. jar by jar and box by box, um, bird by bird, essentially, which is like the Anne Lamott um, book, which yeah. is really um, helpful. And so and so starting small, and so it's even with your to do list, just starting with one small thing from there or starting with just one small pocket of time um and just telling yourself well for me during this period it's not about writing a novel or whatever it might be it's about just making sure that each day you play with words you know even just for a small amount of time for one hour or this hour that you have ahead of you using that rather than kind of having to plan out every morsel of the day and then becoming resentful when it doesn't go to plan. I can't even tell you how much I needed to hear what you just said. So thank you so much for that. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm glad it's helped bit by bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like look at your feet, not the mountain kind of thing. Yeah, chipping, mm. chipping away. Exactly. I really like the analogy of um, of cleaning out the garage for a, a couple of reasons and um, the, the things I've heard you speak on before. One is around the sort of idea of slowing down to speed up, you know, just focusing on like that little bit or doing something every day actually in the end is faster than, you know, getting into this productivity um cyclone, which is what I tend to do. Like I have these like days of like, I'm going to do everything today. And then I can't do anything for a week and things lose momentum because that's not sustainable. Um, but the other thing that sort of occurred to me. Oh yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> I love doing a little cyclone. Yeah. I think that's like recognizing that that's part of my pattern too, that I have these intense days, even when writing the book, it was like 14 hour days sometimes and then three days of nothing. So it's kind of being someone who is a, um, works in spurts and just embracing that as well. And I was working alongside a friend and she was someone who did plod every day, like very diligently and um, kind of effectively, but sort of each day would sh- turn up at the same time. And I was alongside her cycloning, but at the end of the week, we both got the things that we needed to do done just in very different ways. So that was kind of like, Oh, okay. You do your way my way. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. That's really nice to hear as well. And I think I've got I've got a better relationship with it now, exactly as you say that I've identified like, oh, this is a thing that I do and it's and tomorrow won't look like today and that's fine. You can't be a productivity cyclone every day, but just enjoy it when you're in it because it's Ride fun. It. <laughs> you know, it's kind of manic and you've got this like crazy manic energy. Mm, yeah, I mean, everything feels alive, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so the other part of that, the sort of like garage cleaning out um, analogy, just to extend on it a little bit, is, you know, when you've got, you're tackling that drawer or those cupboards or that garage, like you have to make more mess before you can clean it up. <laughs> and I think sometimes that's part of it too. <laughs> You know, that sometimes the task you're doing turns into a different task and, okay, you got to like suddenly it's a different thing. It gets worse before it gets better. (laughs) Or just changes, expands, you know, and maybe then it turns into a a trip down memory lane or, you know, um, yeah. Yes, and just allowing that because it's it's just Mm. inevitable, you know. We kind of expect everything to be so perfect all the time. It's like Mm. it's not going to be how it unfolds. So this is a bit of a um, left 
left turn, but you mentioned slightly earlier um, the word residency came up. <laughs> Can we hear a little bit more about that? And and obviously you've just written and, and published this book. How are you coping with the kind of post-publication, like often there's like the post-publication blues or has it just been so busy and and what is what's the next thing on the horizon? Mm. Well, definitely not so busy. It's just, it's definitely, you know, I've created a lot of space this year, I think. Um, And I think something that's been really helpful to provide a bit of an antidote to the post-project blues, which was, which was quite, there was, I was quite aware of it because not only was the book something that came out and had its own process, but the book really is the end of an almost 10 year project, extraordinary routines looking at yeah. people's days. And so it was, it was kind of this big ending because it was the end of what my focus was, not just the end of writing the book. Um, and so I really wanted sort of to have some space to look at the, the what or and let the next thing arrive, because I think we can, we can be in such a, this is kind of the other idea about ambition is that you get there. You, you know, I arrived at the destination for the book, which was, sorry, the destination for the project was always a book in my mind. And I didn't know what that book looked like for so long. And so working towards that and having sort of false starts and false turns, and then it finally being finished was like, Oh, I got there goal accomplished. Um, but then so quickly, there's that arrival fallacy that we get there and we, you know, we're not changed by it. And we, you know, our lives don't suddenly improve because the book has come out. Um, We sort of look so quickly to the next thing Um, and we're asked, okay, so what's next for you? And and those kind of questions, um, there can be this pressure to sort of just keep going up, up, up. Um, And so I wanted to be really aware that I didn't actually know what the next thing would be. And just to allow for space rather than just rushing into something that, again, might not be what I want. I guess I just was also curious about what the experiences of starting something new when you've come off the back of such a long durational project and also a durational project that has been so relational. Like this entire work is always you interviewing people and and kind of you speaking and and obviously you go and do the work of synthesizing that and, and creating this book out of it and writing that but it has been so much in conversation with others and I would imagine that it's would be freeing and liberating and exciting and scary and all kinds of things to to have that space now and to to kind of to move on to the next thing maybe a bit more I mean I don't know maybe it will be in community with others or maybe it will be more alone but I suppose just I guess I'm just curious about what that experience is. Well, I think you've identified something that, yeah, I hadn't quite seen that in terms of the, the difference between a project that really is relational and now kind of I think that that whole project was asking other people how they do what they do um, and in many ways postponing me doing what I really want to do, which is producing I suppose my work instead of interviewing other people about how they create it's now time for me to create (laughs) yeah which is back to what you said earlier about also like wanting like allowing yourself to want something as well like you want something yes yeah exactly um and allowing myself to play with that and so I've actually been something that's been really 
helpful. Um, again, trying not to think of the novel that could be or the creation itself, but the process. And I came across this Walt Whitman quote, which was right into the gush. And so what that means is just kind of write about whatever is taking you in the moment mm. um, or whatever you kind of, whatever the day brings to you. It could be a conversation or it could be something that you see or it could be a thought right into that rather than kind of having a prescription of what, what you should be writing about or having those moments where an idea comes to you and then just putting them on a list of ideas for later. It's right into that gush or create into that very gush. Um, and so I think that's all I'm trying to learn to do right now. That's what I'm trying to practice is like when something comes um, and, you know, even having a, a time where there might not be anything presenting itself, but just sitting down and allowing that gush to come to you. Mm. I think that's, that's, it's a different kind of writing than journalism, which is sort of how I have built my career or um, content creation or um, even writing a book that's nonfiction and, and putting together other people's words. It's more sort of problem solving and puzzle piece fitting. Mm. Writing to the gush is sort of spontaneous and emotional and um, it has its own sort of, it's a new way to, to, for me to kind of explore um so that's I suppose what I'm trying to keep remembering thanks Walt Whitman <laughs> <laughs> what a guy what a guy <laughs> and and so pre pre extraordinary routines pre routines and ruts do you can you connect back in or remember what your other than to understand what the fuck other people did with their days and how they started <laughs> creative careers do you remember what your big want was then or do you you know were you writing from the gush then no that well I think that that was me writing I guess it was sort of a gush in of confusion that was writing mm. from I, I guess I don't even call it it's different from the writing from the, the gush because it was very much more journalistic so it was just like it was it was taking other people's ideas and and, and synthesizing them um, so that's, but the, I think maybe the curiosity had an element of that and being curious about how other people spend their days. And I think that's always been something that's fascinated me. Like I would ask friends what they have for breakfast and just kind of, um, really wanted to just be able to spend my time asking those kind of questions to people. Cause I was always sort of baffled. Um, uh, and yeah, so I think that I'm wondering what what 25 year old me would have been. Mm. Yeah, I think I had very different plans. I used to have very rigid five year plans for myself, and they're so different. Like I used to want to open a recycled clothing store, vintage clothing store. <laughs> I would go to that store, a vintage clothing empire. <laughs> so I think that was it was very different different um, ideas for myself, um, which again goes to show like how goal setting, you know, in the the direction changes so much. Um, so, yeah, I think it was always before all that. It was writing has always been, um, I guess, a core and the curiosity. Mm. Um, you referred to uh, what was the language used? Coll collecting mistakes or collecting failures or something like that. Um, 
which I, I love the idea of that. And not that like not opening your beautiful vintage clothes shop is a failure, but they, they are things that people can frame that way in the way that they're like, oh, I had this idea and I never did it. Therefore it was a failure or whatever, or maybe, you know, you did try to open it and it didn't work out or, um, but I, I really love the, the language that you use there because it makes it sound, um, What's the word? They sound like accolades. It's yeah, like it reframes exactly. failures you, as like a, yeah. something you should be proud of. It's a, And it makes it sound sort of fun as well and more playful, like, you know, like collecting stamps, you know, less serious, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or like little those um, like the scouts have when you get your different badges for different things. Oh my God. I love this so much. Oh no, we had a, like a, a planning podcast planning weekend a few weeks ago. We call it a business sleepover. We call it a business sleepover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we literally brought a sticker book and gave each other gold stars. <laughs> oh. was I hope that, that turns into a, a, cl- a club that other people can come to and get their gold stars for being an imposter or a failure and collecting mistakes. That would be so fun. Oh. I would come. <laughs> <laughs> Right, just down. gold business stars. idea. <laughs> just in coal, in coals, giving gold stars to people. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah, the membership card, and then you can punch it for every time you fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and then, we, and that's confetti. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, love this idea. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask Madeline while we've still got you, and obviously want to be respectful of your time. Um. But, but just given that you've had this insight into so many diverse creative practices, is there something that stands out to you as the biggest mistake that people make when thinking about their time and, and career? Ooh. Um, well, I'm not sure if this, if this is a mistake that everyone makes, but it's sort of stood out as, I don't know, something that kind of maybe it's more of a societal sort of message that kind of or um, a side effect of this kind of idea that, of putting productivity on the pedestal um, is this kind of worry that sort of seems to follow us about wasting time um, and, you know, lamenting the, all the things that we don't do um, in a given moment or in a, a day um, and then kind of seeing that, oh, wait a moment, like if you're worrying about wasting time, that to me is the only waste of time, like the worry mm. itself <laughs> rather than, you know, there's so many times when I'm sitting inside worrying about the time I'm wasting, not doing something that I've told myself I should do. Um, and it's like, well, why, why not then just go out into the world and maybe go for a walk and maybe that's the very thing that I need Mm. to then come back and potentially, again, not to sort of put the rest as the ingredient to doing, but um, just sort of if we're sitting and worrying, well, why not just turn our attention to the myriad of things that we could do? Um, And so I think it's it's, uh, there's this beautiful book that was written in 19... 08 or 04, you know, more than a hundred years ago. So sort of for me, it's, I always find it interesting when that happens because it sort of shows that these very worries have plagued us for a long time. Um, and it's by Arnold Bennett. It's called how to live on 24 hours in a day. 
Um, and he talks about sort of this, this idea of, you know, when you're worrying about wasting time, um, the beautiful thing about time is that you can't waste it in advance, in advance. So you can just turn over a new leaf every hour if you choose to. Um, so you might've wasted the morning or wasted yesterday. Um, but you can turn over this new leaf. Um, and I think that that's kind of, for me, that's been a really nice reminder when I find myself in those spirals, which I still do, <laughs> just sort of turning over new leaf. Um, and just remembering I got, we're not necessarily wasting time because we, we set ourselves up to fail or we're set up to fail with sort of thinking that time is, um, you know, infinite, but actually it's finite and we can't do everything. Um, so it's not necessarily a waste of time. It's just, well, choosing to go for this walk instead um, or whatever it might be. I can't really think of a better note to end it on than that. Madeline, thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time, for making the time. <laughs> Oh, we're making the time. And thank you so much for the, the beautiful questions. And I really want to join the IRL club when you create one, if you do. <laughs> Yay, absolutely, absolutely. Madeline, thank you so much. It's just been an incredible joy. Um, you're you're so clever and um, and so wise and we're, we're lucky to have had the opportunity to speak to you today. Um, where can people find you? They can find me. I've um, created a new newsletter, Substack, which I'm finding to be a really wonderful community um, for anyone who might feel like they've got the social media blues. Um, Substack seems to be really kind of fertile at the moment. And so I've got a Substack called Madeline Door on Things where I'm sharing regular musings and findings and bits and pieces. So that's a good place. Love that. And everyone, of course, should go out and buy your book because it's amazing. And yeah, it's it's an incredible, <laughs> incredibly, um, just to say as well, nuanced perspective on it. I think there's so many diverse perspectives on time, but also you handle them with such nuance. And that's really, um, it's it's both instructive, but also a very refreshing way to read about and think about these things. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you both for your amazing wisdom and beautiful questions and what you are putting out into the world with this podcast. Thanks so much, Madeline. <laughs> all right. Well, all the best and we'll catch up soon, I guess. Yeah. See you next time. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Imposter Syndrome Club. Please follow us wherever you find your podcasts. And if you're feeling extra kind, rate and review. Or if you got any insights or value from this, share with a friend. You can also find us on Instagram at ImpostorPod or online at ImpostorSyndromeClub.com.